The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome back to Brutal Nation. The podcast series is dedicated to lesser-known serial killers and acts of true crime. I'm your host, the big, the mighty, the powerful, the rapping white boy himself, Scott Alexander, or as I like to call myself, absolutely white. Obscenely white. Or obscenely white. That works, too. Right across from me is the one, the only, the not-so-hairy, because she apparently shaved her pits and her legs and whatever else Sasquatches do, Tammy Underwood. Say, ah, Tam. Hi. (laughs) that matter? (laughs) Oh, my God. That's awesome. It was like a retarded Sasquatch. Yeah. That's fucking tremendous. Okay. So, I'm going to start this episode here off with a little commercial of our own. If you are a podcaster or want to get into podcasting and uh, and what have not, shoot us an email because we're getting ready to start helping other people that want to become podcasters yeah. and posting them on our website and yeah, helping with web, you know, giving you like website access, production, all that posting the whole yeah. the whole shebang yeah so, through a hosting company, all that shit, so yeah. you don't have to go through it yourself. So yeah, uh, just contact us and we'll talk over details. All right, so I've got a kind of a. a an interesting case. Today. Wait, you forgot to give the email. It's admin oh. at twistedbluellc.com. That would help, huh? Yeah. They kind of need to know. Guess the email, motherfuckers. Yeah. That's, there you go. Just fucking guess, dude. So today I'm giving you guys uh, two killers for our two for Tuesday. Nathan Leopold Jr. and Richard Loeb. Leopold and Loeb. That just you sounds like, I don't know, a porn. I've seen that porn. I was in that porn. And my butt was never the were same. Were you Loeb or were you Lube or Leopold? <laughs> Leopold or Lube? There was no Lube. <laughs> it was just a Leopold. It was just uh, spitting the t- termination. You're so dumb. There are monsters that lurk all around us. Some people think that when it comes to horrific acts of cruelty, that it's mostly in uh, it, it's mostly the guy next door. You know, the guy that's always nice and quiet. The people that kill right under your nose that are never suspect until the dirty little secret comes out. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like Bundy. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. One of the sickest things that I have found uh, is when those who have a, this great sense of entitlement that are born into wealth, who think that they're way above the law. With that said, I present to you Nathan Leopold and Richard Loeb. So let's talk about Nathan Leopold first. How about that, let's boys do and it. girls? No, let's not do it. Because, no. I meant, like, let's get started, dumbass. Told your mom that. I'm sure you did. Nathan Leopold was born on November 19th of 1904 in Chicago, Illinois. The son of Florence and Nathan Leopold. That's why he got the junior, right? Yeah. Well, they were a wealthy German Jew uh, immigrant family. Yeah, that's right. They got the double thing going on. It's the Germans and the Jews. Dirty Jews. Anywho, he was a child prodigy, and he claimed to have spoken his first words at four months. And I call bullshit on that. That was just. I do too. I mean, maybe eight, nine, ten months. Your vocal cords aren't even developed. Yeah, yeah, because you're still like crying and screaming, and Yeah. yeah. It's. I mean, because my son said "mama" when he was like maybe. Nine months old, I think. My son was a year when he said, get me a beer. Did he really? No. <laughs> like just say, I can see your son doing that because your son's a fucking lush. <laughs> but um, no, they, um, it's just really crazy. I mean, because he, like I said, he said that at like maybe eight, nine months old. But then my son refused to crawl until he was like 14 months old because people carried him everywhere. Lazy bastard. I know. That's what I said. It's a lazy bullfrog. So anyway, at the time of the murder, Leopold had completed an under, undergraduate degree at the University of Chicago with Phi Beta Kappa honors and planned to begin his studies at Harvard Law School after a trip to Europe. Okay. He had reportedly studied 15 languages and claimed to speak five fluently, which I can believe. And I can believe it, too. And, and you'll see why later on. I don't call bullshit on that one. No, because you're very... Um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? I'm very good at linguistics. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I think I got seven languages under my belt currently. Yeah. Something like that. I speak a lot of languages. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, like I said, I used to speak, you know, both Spanish and Korean fluently, but when I quit using them, I forgot how to do it. Well, he was also very, uh, he had high achievements as an ornithologist, which is a bird mm-hmm. studier. He studied birds, right? Uh, Leopold and several other ornithologists identified the Kirkland warbler and made uh, an astute op- observation about the parasitic nesting behaviors of the brown-headed crowbirds, which threatened the warblers. You know what? This sounds like it was uh, like a influence an episode of Criminal Minds. Could have. Yeah, because I'm like listening to it. And I'm like, that sounds like fucking that episode of Criminal Minds. Were they in college? Uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, this guy was a, a huge into ornithology. Um, very interested. Okay. Uh, he eventually maintained his interest in birds after his crime, by the way, writing to uh, the, the Field Museum from his cell in Joliet regarding specimens he had donated prior to him going to prison. He donated what specimens. Kind of specimens? Uh, bird specimens. Oh, under- okay. I didn't hear that. Dinosaurs. Like- he donated no, dinosaurs. Thinking, why He's is an he donating? I no. I was thinking. For some reason, maybe it's because it's you talking. I was thinking semen specimens. Oh my god! <laughs> not everything that comes out of my mouth is perverted, unless I'm talking about your mom. I was going to say ninety percent of what comes out of your mouth is perverted as fuck, Scott. It is not. Okay, no, I guess it is. I think you're right. Yeah. I'm not even going to get all. Yeah, you can take anything, any conversation. I can say one sentence and you can turn around to make it dirty. Yes, yes, I can. I'm just saying. (laughs) All right, let's give a little tiny peek peek at Richard Lowe before we get into the meat and potatoes of this story. Gotcha. Richard Lowe was born on June 11th, 1905 in Chicago, Illinois, to to the family of Anna Henrietta and Albert Henry Loeb. He was a wealthy lawyer. And retired as the as the uh, vice president of the Sears Roebuck Company. Oh, okay. <clears throat> That's his, like his father was Jewish and his mother was Catholic. Oh, that's a there's some molestation going well, on. Well, no, and not just that is Jews can't stand Catholics and vice versa. Yeah, I know, and that's because Jews bizarre? are really into Jesus as being your savior, and Jew, I mean Catholics are, and Jews are like Jesus hasn't the Messiah hasn't come yet. And the Jews control all the banks, too. Don't forget oh, that. Yeah. Damn it, Catholics. Give us more money. <laughs> yeah. Like Leopold, Loeb was exceptionally intelligent. He graduated high school at 14 years old. Uh, and with the encouragement of his governess, he skipped several grades in school and became the University of Michigan's youngest graduate at age 17. Okay. So, kudos. From college. From college, from the University wow. of Michigan. Yeah, this guy didn't fuck around, man. Yeah, no. He like Sheldon Cooper. Yeah. He was especially interested in, in history and was doing graduate work on uh, in the subject at the University of Chicago at the time of the murder. Keep that in mind. Okay. Compared, uh, compared to Leopold, Loeb was not overly interested, not overly, uh, in intellectual pursuits. Okay. Uh, he preferred to socialize, you know, play tennis, read detective novels, you know, hang out, that type of thing. That was, that, that was his deal. Well, at least he's social. Yeah, very, very social. And you'll see Which how that plays sometimes in. sometimes weird. <clears throat> These two boys met in school and became friends in 1920. Okay. Uh, when they were about 15 years old. Because, you know, okay. intellectual-wise, they were about the same. Okay. You know, they're both prodigies. Right. Geniuses. Both of these young men were very intelligent. They both spent uh they both spent through school. What the fuck? They both went through school and by the time they were 16 years old, uh they were starting college at the University of Chicago. Okay. So, I guess he finished out. At, anyway, that's just the that's anyway, let's skip that fucking goddamn that kind of didn't make any sense, but whatever. Uh, yeah, I think I meant to put University of Chicago on the top of that instead of Michigan. Oh, yeah. I may have miss, misstepped that one. But anyway. Which, you know, it's possible. Catch up, people. I'm confused myself. 
Their friendship did confuse a lot of people, however. Richard Loeb was known as a dazzling person. It was said that he was the kind of guy who lit up a room when he walked in. He was very handsome and super outgoing. Okay. Nathan Loeb was a total opposite of Richard. Oh, okay. Or Nathan Leopold, sorry, was a total opposite of Richard. He wasn't as good looking and wasn't super outgoing either. Okay. He'd rather study his birds than be the center of attention. It was said that there was something very dark and intense about Leopold. Oh, shit. He was also known as a know-it-all, which made people like not really like him at all, right? Um, yeah, nobody likes that. And he had an opinion about everything. So he'd go to parties and like he knew everything about everything. Type of uh, a person. Yeah, like that fucking character on Saturday Night Live that fucking... When somebody starts, she's a woman, and every time somebody starts talking about a subject, she's talking about how, you know, she did it better or, Ah, you know. Gotcha. Yeah. Funnier than shit. What they did have in common was that they both thought they were geniuses. They felt that they were superior to everyone else. Oh, wow. Well, Leopold had fallen in love with Richard. We're going to get to this in a little bit. And it's speculated uh, that Richard liked that because uh, it was somebody he always wants somebody to really look up to him and, and give him all those all that adulation. Oh, so Leopold was on. We'll get to that. I hate it when you do that. Because <laughs> there was actually a letter that was found from Leopold to Richard in Leopold's room that indicated that they'd had a sexual relationship with each other as well. And I think I touched on that later on as well. Yeah, you better. Sometimes you don't when you say shit like that, but whatever. Because when I think about me, I touch myself. In the beginning, they would commit petty crimes together. They'd steal and vandalize as well. Okay. Uh, That makes sense. They thought, no, they knew in their hearts that they were smarter than the police. We've had that so many times. Uh-huh. When petty crimes lost their thrill, they devised a plan to commit the perfect murder. Okay. They wanted to prove to themselves that they were superior to everybody else, and they could pull off the perfect murder and not get caught. Mm-hmm. Okay. On May 21st of 1924, Leopold rented a car under the name of Morton Ballard. Richard and Leopold were ready to drive around and find the perfect victim. That's when they found Bobby Franks. Now, Bobby Franks was a 14-year-old cousin of Richard Loeb. Okay, so he knew him. Oh, yeah. Okay. So Richard was in the back seat of the car, right? Mm-hmm. And he asked Bobby to hop in the front seat. And Bobby said, you know, yeah, it's my cousin. He, gets, he got in. And almost immediately, they began to bludgeon 14-year-old Bobby. Wow. Yeah. They used a chisel, of all things, to beat him over the head until Bobby died. And actually, I, I read something else where they had, uh, he had actually suffocated. They stuffed a rag into his mouth to keep him from screaming. That's how he died, was suffocation. Oh, my God. <clears throat> so that's the that's two accounts that I read on that one. Yeah. Then they drove to the wetlands by Lake Michigan, poured acid on his face and genitals to keep uh, anyone from being able to identify Bobby's body. Why aren't his genitals? How do you identify somebody by their genitals? That's what I was wondering, too. It's not like they're going to... We can't tell the face. Drop his pants. Oh, I know that dick. Yeah. To me, that sounds like they were ashamed of their act. Eh, Maybe. They're just... Maybe they're just being fucking assholes. Yeah, maybe they're just fucking sadistic jackasses, but... Mm -hmm. That's possible. So, I don't know if I put this in here at all, but on the way there... They'd act, and I think I did, but so I'll, I'll probably repeat myself. But they'd actually stopped along the way for hot dogs and root beer. Need to stop by that soda fountain. That's right. Talk to that soda jerk. <laughs> I'm a mom jerk. No, you're just a fucking jerk. <laughs> you knew that was coming, right? So much so, was breathing heavy. <laughs> Fuck off. Then they sent a ransom note to Bobby's family, which had been written before they even knew who they were going to kill. Oh, wow. It wasn't long before Bobby's body was found. And now the police were on the hunt to find out who killed this child. Okay. Makes sense. So it's the 1920s and the Windy City is totally outraged that there's a child killer out there. State's attorney Richard Crow 
uh, Richard Crow, he was a state's attorney at the time. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he had been elected to his position with promises to, you know, get crime off the streets. Okay. And Crow, I'm mentioning him because he, he, he's a, this all plays together. Okay. I'm waiting. So Crow had political ambitions. He's very ambitious politically. And he actually wanted to become the, the mayor of Chicago. Oh, okay, yeah. And become one of the most powerful men in Chicago. Well, in that day and age, it was like a big thing. Right. If you became like the mayor, especially of Chicago, dude, you are yeah, the New fucking... New York, Chicago, pimp. Miami, L.A. Yeah. yeah, places like that, right? Yeah. He made a promise that when he found who killed Bobby Franks, that person would hang from the gallows. We've well, heard those sorts before. Oh, yeah. We, we, we've heard that from cops, politicians, everything. We'll find these people and they'll hang or they'll die. They'll get the gas chamber, the electric chair, the lethal injection. It'll be a cold day in hell before you get cake and ice cream for your birthday. Yeah, things like that. And yeah. it turns out like, hey, fucking no. Yeah, no. Three years later. <laughs> well, here's the shitty part. Keep in mind, it's the 1920s. The police had very few clues on who had killed Bobby Franks. Okay. All they had at the time was a witness that saw a gray sedan driving around near where Bobby Franks had been and a pair of eyeglasses that were found near Bobby's body. The police thought that they belonged to Bobby, so they were sent off, right, Uh, Mm -hmm. with his body. And the glasses had been put on Bobby uh, by the coroner when they came to identify the body at the funeral home. Oh, so they thought they were his, so they put them on him Right. when the parents came in to identify him. Right. Gotcha. And so the parents show up mm-hmm. and they look and they go, those aren't Bobby's classes. And that would actually offer up their very first big clue. Ah. The glasses had a very unique hinge on them. And the police started asking around to find out uh, who made these glasses. And there were only three pairs that had been made with this kind of hinge on them. Ooh. One pair belonged to a man who had been out of the country for a few weeks. Okay, so cross him off the list. Yeah, cross him off because there's no way he could have, you know, killed yeah. Bobby. He's been gone. Gone. He's ghost. No. The second one it was a woman who had been ruled out as a suspect. Okay. They checked her out and they said, no, there's just no way this broad did it. Okay. The third belonged to Nathan Leopold. And Nathan mm. Leopold, uh, being from a very, even though he was from a very affluent home, mm-hmm. at, at first he was not a suspect. Okay. He was 18, 19 years old at the time, but nonetheless, Richard Crow had him hauled in by three cops to question him. So they don't think he's a suspect, but they've got this clue, and they're being thorough. Right. Because somebody oh. killed an affluent child, and I use right. those words because of my final thought when it comes to all this okay, shit. Okay, gotcha. <clears throat> So anyway, after they showed uh, Leopold the glasses, he shrugged and said that he's a bird expert. And he claimed that, you know, he's often in that area where his body was found. The glasses must have slipped out of his pocket the last time that he was out there. Okay. Yeah, but it makes sense, though. It does. You know, shit's slipped out of my pockets when I've been hunting and fishing and, you know, and things like that. It happens. Shit, I lost a watch one time when I went to the lake to go swimming. Put it under something, nobody else was on the beach, and came out, and it was gone. So this next part, I, you guys got to really pay attention because this all kind of feeds back in. Okay. okay. So Nathan Leopold told the cops that Bobby, that when Bobby was killed, he was driving around in his red car with his good friend Richard Lowe. He said that they were drinking and picking up on a couple of girls, and after they dro- after that, they dropped the girls off, and they went home. Okay? That's okay. legit. Yeah, totally. totally. legit, right? While Leopold was being questioned, the police searched his room, and that's when they found that letter. To Richard Loeb. Oh, the love letter. Now, you see how this is playing in? Yeah. Because now there's questions. Totally. Okay? We'll get to that. Okay, gotcha. Like I said, the, the letter indicated that Loeb and Leopold had a sexual relationship, and Richard Crow, the state's attorney, found it odd that these two guys were both gay. If they were both gay, why would they spend the evening chasing girls? Right, and this is a day and age when that is not considered natural. Right, or you really, acceptable. You really wouldn't do both. You really wouldn't even want to yeah. be gay, but you really wouldn't be, uh, you know, yeah, doing both. Totally. girls. Okay, that's when Crow wanted Richard Lowe brought in for questioning as well, because he knew that there was a lie afoot. Okay. And something wasn't adding up, right? Right. 
since the parents of these two boys were cooperating, Crow decided to keep them both in custody. Meanwhile, they compared the handwriting of Nathan Leopold to the handwriting that was on the ransom note, and they matched. (gasps) Wow. Like, almost perfectly? Yeah. Exactly. They were exactly the same. Yeah. Uh, The note itself was actually linked to a typewriter that he owned. Those are called striation marks. Yeah. Strike remember, marks. Shipman got in trouble with that uh-huh. thingy jigger. So, the family, a short time later, sends their chauffeur, the chauffeur of the Leopold family, to come to the police station with some evidence that they thought would prove Nathan was innocent. Okay. The chauffeur told the police that there was no way the boys could have been out uh, where, you know, when and where Bobby's body was found because Nathan car, Nathan's car was in the garage being worked on. But he said he had been driving around. You got it. Now Crow knew the boys were lying. Oh, He's yeah. like, these That's guys like, are full of shit. Yeah, that is like totally like fucking. Yeah. So it's time to, to, to turn the heat up on these boys and get some real fucking answers. Because Crow knows there's some shit afoot. Yeah. And he doesn't honestly give a fuck if these boys come from an affluent family right. or what. There's some shit going on. Why are they lying Yeah. To Who was that FBI, the head of the FBI way back when? Oh, I can't fucking remember. Yeah, I can't either. <clears throat> they were left in separate rooms and questioned for a solid 24 hours. Uh, they were questioned for 24 hours? Yep. Crow Holy was on shit. it, man. Crow was like, I'm going to get some fucking yeah, answers. Yeah, that's like the whole fucking uh, Bitteker Norris when he oh, yeah. interrogated him for 17 hours. Right. It was about pinning him down and showing the evidence that they had against him, is what it was okay. about. With the evidence in hand, Richard Loeb, he cracked first and gave them details about the murder that only the killer would know, or killer or killers would know. Okay. After they brought what Richard Loeb had told them to Nathan Leopold, after that, and after hearing that information, he uh, they that they had collected from Loeb, Leopold knew that Richard was confessing, and right. Le- Leopold began to confess, and of course, blame Loeb. Of course, I mean we see that all. It's not me. It's the other guy. It's the guy I'm in the grassy knoll. No, he's the mastermind. Oh yeah, and the masturbator. <laughs> what I do in my room on my own time is my business. Yeah, but what you do with farm animals in a jackhammer... Still my business. ...is a felony. <laughs> Not if I don't get caught. <laughs> the, boys, the, boys were both ad, uh, the boys both admitted that they planned out the murder over, uh, over the several months. And okay. that they had every intention of getting away with it. Okay. They wanted to get away with the killing as well as the ransom. Now, keep in mind, they're from affluent families. There's Mm -hmm. no reason to get the ransom. They've got money. They're doing it just because, right? Of course. As they were confessing to the police, uh, as they were confessing, the police found out that they had rented a car under that assumed name, as I'd mentioned earlier. Oh, okay. The George Johnson name? uh, The the Morton Ballard. Oh, okay. Name. Gotcha. Their confession would include the details of the murder, which also included... Stuffing the rag, as I mentioned, into Bobby's mouth, which suffocated him. Wow. They also said that on their way to the wetlands, as I had said before, they stopped for hot dogs and root beer. Yeah. My personal thought. Oh, we're done? No. Oh. No, no, no. Oh, okay. Intermittently. Your side note. Yes. Side note. Side note. I don't do heroin. Side note. How sick is that? I mean, you have a child that you just killed in your car with you, a child that's the cousin of Richard Loeb, and you stop to get food before you go and dump the body. Yeah, he's like dead in the car, and it's like, you know what? I want a root beer float. I want a root beer, and I want some hot dogs. Because that's right, because I am good. hungry now after doing all that. Hey, man, killing is hungry work. Mm-hmm. Richard Crow, in an effort to ensure the conviction of the boys, retraced the steps on the day that they killed Bobby Franks. Okay. Leopold and Loeb led the police as well as journalists step by step to recreate that day. Okay. From the store where they bought the chisel to the spot where they dumped the body. It was said that they seemed very proud of what they had done. Yeah, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like they had accomplished something. They even demonstrated what they had done 
to the police and the media. We've seen that before, too. So, And it was like they were kind of bragging about it. Yeah. They said that they did it, that... That they did it because Bobby was there. That's the only reason he was the victim. There was a, they just said, "Hey, there he is. Let's fucking go get wow. this." Is the dude we see? And they did it. Uh, they did it for fun, uh, and they spoke to reporters freely about the murder. Yeah. <clears throat> of the two boys, they thought that Leopold was the mastermind behind these crimes. It was thought that he had developed a kind of a master submissive relationship, um, which Leopold, as the master. And Loeb was a submissive. Right. Keep that in mind, too. This plays in. It made sense in the media because Leopold looked, like I said, very intense. And Loeb was this really good-looking, stylish, always, you know, well-put-together guy. Right. So, you know, you got the one guy who looks like a criminal. Yeah. And, and the then other you guy, have, like, the Patrick Kearney. <laughs> yeah. And then you have, like, the guy who's going to charm your pants off. Yeah. The truth of the matter was that it was the complete opposite of what they had thought. Loeb was actually the dominant one, and Leopold was the submissive. So Loeb was the one that wrote the letter to Leopold. No, no, no. The letter still stands true. Leopold wrote it to Loeb. Oh, Leopold wrote it. Okay, I had it backwards. Yeah, because he was the submissive. Yeah, that makes sense now. The Loeb and Leopold families retained attorney Clarence Darrow for the boys. Darrow was well, a well-known attorney with a huge string of wins for politicians. Okay. If anyone could get him off, it was this guy. Yeah, Clarence Darrow was fucking... Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's amazing. very, I mean, very famous. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The main goal, however, was to save them from the death penalty. Okay. This would be a big job on its own because of how the public viewed the crime as well as, as, well as its nature. Clarence Darrow was considered the legal miracle worker, and he was also against the death penalty. He had over 60 capital punishment cases. Wow. He, and the, the reason why he was against the death penalty is because he lost that first case, and he uh, never, never. Wanted to lose again. Got, yeah, he never got over it. Yeah. He had one guy that, that had to face the, the hangman, and after that, he's like, no, I will never have that again. Yeah. And he Never had one again. One out of 60 he lost. Wow. This dude. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you can, like, research Daryl, and he, I mean, fucking, he was amazing. Oh, yeah. He was also known, by the way, as the attorney of the damned. Okay. Makes, Makes sense. Makes sense, right? Yeah. Okay. And like I said, this is because he had sev several clients that were actually caught with weapons in their hands, and he got them acquitted. And saved them from the death penalty. Dude, seriously? Dude is fucking a ninja. Or was. He's <laughs> yeah. been dead since I mean, he's like the fucking Johnny Cochran, dude. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hey, man, if your glove don't fit, you must have quit. I won't lie. I'll testify. <laughs> Daryl wasn't the only one who wanted to abolish the death penalty, by the way. Since around 1900, there have been several people who had wanted to abolish it in several states. <clears throat> The number of executions at the time were on the decline, and Daryl saw a chance to tip the scales in the favor to end the death penalty okay. with this case. This taste, this taste, this case had gotten worldwide coverage, so Daryl knew that he had the perfect stage to spotlight his beliefs against the death penalty. Okay. Leopold and Loeb were in jail for three days before Daryl showed up and talked to them about uh, the crime. About mm -hmm. their crime the whole time. Uh, and he talked about their crime uh, the whole time that he's with them, right? Okay. Richard Crow, the state's attorney, had arranged for them to be examined by leading psychiatrists, which were also, at the time, they were actually known as alienists. Okay. Which I didn't know until I started reading this. I thought it was always psychiatrists. Right. It's called alienists. So, anyway, the reason why Crow did this is it was an attempt to get rid of what he thought was Daryl's only defense that uh, which is the insanity plea right that way there because he wanted these guys crow really wanted these guys to uh, to face the hangman mm -hmm. that was his end goal was to watch these two swing well yeah because they killed the kid yeah they killed the and kid. they were like nonchalant about it yeah and you'll see more and more of that shit <laughs> oh i believe it the shrinks all said that both leopold and low were perfectly sane and that there was nothing wrong with them. The only thing that was wrong with them is that they really didn't care about what they had done. 
And in the state's eyes, that's not insanity. Yeah. That's just evil. That's all. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things that if you know what you have done and you know what's wrong, it's not insane. Right. They, yeah. the, these guys just did. They just flat out just. They just didn't give a fuck. fuck. Yeah. Not two of them. So when Darrow showed up on his first meeting with Leopold and Loeb, Loeb excuse me, he looked totally disheveled. His suit was wrinkled. He had food stains on his shirt. And Leopold would say later on that his first impression of uh, of Clarence was absolute horror. Oh, yeah, I can see that. No, I can see that, too, man. If, I, if I've got a top-end fucking attorney coming in on yeah. the Capitol case, I want to see him looking good. Yeah. This guy comes in look like he's a hobo. Yeah, well, you kind of see that in the comedies, you know, yeah. in, like, the 90s and shit, where an attorney goes in, he's like, Totally fucking fucked up and then wins the case. It's like, yeah. are you fucking kidding me? When Daryl showed up to his first meeting with Leopold, the shovel, okay, I got that part. All right. So Daryl goes before the judge and, of course, pleads not guilty. This allows him time to actually build his case. Okay. Build his defense. Okay. And that's right now at this part, at this point, that's what he really needs. Because time is of the essence, and you need to buy yourself some time. Oh, yeah, because if you plead not guilty, you you have that, you know, time and freaking, you know, thing to gather the evidence or gather your witnesses. Right. Because if, if you, you're pleading guilty. You're, it goes right to sentencing. Yeah, you're fucked. Yeah. yeah. And then you, you lose all that time. True. Well, he gathered several experts, including a criminologist, a, a doctor, and a psychologist. Okay. Um. Uh, that were versed in every way of viewing mental disorders at the time um, and the teachings of Freud. Okay. What Sorry. the fuck just happened over there? Okay, it's a moth. It, I couldn't tell when I looked up there. I was like, is that a fucking spider right here? It's just, it's like a cobweb. Yeah, well, when I saw it out of the corner of my eye, it scared the shit out of me. Well, so you scared the shit out of me, so thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. So Sigmund Freud, for those of you that don't know, had developed a method of treating psychopathic behavior uh, through dialogue between psychiatrists and the patient. Over the next five weeks, both Leopold and Loeb would be examined by this team using the latest in cutting-edge science. Okay. The murder of Bobby Franks, Franks itself be, uh, began a national outrage uh, In another way as well. What? Okay, wait, anyway. I put... Everybody was concerned with how modern life was declining. Okay. Okay, so that's the other way that it was uh, affecting. Not just the murder itself, but they were looking at the decline of, the t- of, of modern civilization. Okay, that makes sense. It's the roaring 20s. The music was louder. Skirts were shorter, um, as well as other concerns. Yeah, because that's when um, the swing, not the swing music, but kind of like the rock and roll era was just starting. Just starting. Yeah. You, you, you don't just have you know, dance music. You got this, You got jazz coming in. Yeah, you have the Roaring Twenties. Yeah, you got the Roaring Twenties yeah. music, which is a lot of jazz. Yeah. The main concern seemed, at least to me, the morality and its downward spiral. Okay. That's not my honest opinion on it. Yeah. Daryl had his work cut out for him. Daryl sent some of his guys into the streets to get the public opinion um, about what they thought should happen to his clients. And 60%. Hang them, motherfuckers. That's what they said. They said, hang them. They should face the hangman. That makes sense. Complete sense, actually. On top of that, though, as we said many times, the media painted a horrible picture of these guys. Yet accurate. Of these two overprivileged monsters. So that in the court of public opinion, mm-hmm. Leopold and Loeb should have already been hanged. Like, not even a trial. Just right to the hang. Yeah. Yeah. Don't even, you know, 4.5 seconds. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's like they, they, they should have literally been arraigned and go, hang them now. Oh, 30 seconds. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty fucking good. Yeah, pretty much. On July 21st, two months after their arrest, Leopold and Loeb were in the courtroom with their attorney, Daryl. Okay. Along with Richard Crow, of course, the state's mm-hmm. attorney. Um, and they were ready to present their case in front of Judge John, Judge John Caberly. Okay. And the courtroom was packed. Although the courtroom was jam-packed, though, 
the crowd was silent because they're listening wow. closely. This is a pretty intense Yeah, so they're case. not like murmuring or anything like that. Right. Everybody wants to get every last nuance and detail. So Daryl, in a move that absolutely shocked everybody, stepped up and entered a new plea of guilty. That's right. Yeah. You like that look? Yeah, I like that look. That's like, okay. This caused a total uproar. And he's representing both of them. Yeah. Oh, well, that's weird. And this caused a total uproar in the courtroom. And the newspapers ate it the fuck up. Oh, I bet they did. The reason why Daryl made this move was because once you enter a plea of guilty, that eliminates the jury. Oh. So, yeah, so the Uh jury can't freaking give their recommendations. Right. You're not going to get judged by a jury of your peers. Right. You're already admitting to it, so you're just being sentenced by the judge and not getting the recommendations. Exactly. Gotcha. Because... That makes sense. uh, Public opinion had already said these two should already be dead. Oh, yeah. You know, we shouldn't even be here. Um, yeah, and then it becomes the judge's decision if these boys are going to hang or get life. Yeah. Richard Crow, of course, was very upset. Um, I believe you. Oh, yeah. He thought he had the case just well wrapped up. It's, it's an open and shut case. Yeah. Uh, he had made sure that a plea of insanity was off the table. Okay. Okay. That's why he had him examined first yeah. by his alienists. That makes sense. Darrow's idea was uh, was that he would enter into evidence the findings about Leopold and Loeb's mental states, uh, as well as physical, and argue for a sentence that is less than death. Okay. This had never been done before in a courtroom. Okay. Crow, on the other hand, thought it, the idea was totally out of line and that Darrow should not be allowed to do it. Okay. Darrow wanted to present a case for psychological weakness as well as mitigating circumstances that led to their murder. Basically, what he was saying is that his clients, while they were very well educated, were not mature enough to know what they were doing. Okay, so he's basically saying that they had um, grown up too fast. Sort of. We'll, we'll get into deeper. Uh, um, and also that it. they were not strong enough mentally to really think through the consequences of the crime before carrying it out. Okay. I have to adjust my headphones. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it. There we go. A short time later, it was time for the sentencing uh, phase of this case. He presents this. He presents that they have abnormalities and uh, immaturity. Yeah, immaturity. Like the social inadequacy. Right. Okay. Give me two seconds to scroll down deeper because I may. Deeper. You got to go deeper, Scott. I'm going so deep. God, Janet, where are you? I just. Shut up. What? What'd I do? I hate you. I put something in the wrong place. Sorry. Oh, no. Okay. No, I'm right. Never mind. So, a short time later, okay, they get to the sentencing phase of this. I thought that I put something in here wrong, but I didn't. My bad. So, Richard Crow was up first, and he presented a long list of witnesses and evidence against uh, Leopold and Loeb. Okay. The reason for this was... uh, because although they pled guilty, Crow still needs to prove that they're actually guilty of the crime. You still have to prove it. Oh, yeah. You can't just say we all agreed that you fucked up. Yeah. Crow, Crow was very thorough. And by the end of his presentation, there was no doubt in anyone's mind that these guys did, in fact, kill Bobby Franks. Mm-hmm. I have to readjust my... You need this? No, I got some. Okay. Meanwhile, while he's while uh, Crow's talking, mm-hmm. Darrow did not do anything. And the reason for that is he knew that if he cross-examined any of the witnesses, that it would just add to the prosecution's case. Right. That makes sense. Crow presented his case over a seven-day period. 
And Darrow hasn't said a word yet. Hasn't said a goddamn word. Hasn't you know cross-examined He's a anybody. genius. Oh, you'll see why here in a minute. This is beautiful. Oh, man. Crow demanded the death penalty for these two monsters, of course. Oh, yeah. So now they're in the sentencing phase. Uh-huh. Okay. And so all- they can bring up everything, but it's everything. only in front of the judge. Right. Gotcha. No jury involved. No jury. But all the while, Leopold and Loeb, they sat behind their attorney just snickering like little children. Oh, of course. On July 30th, it was the defense's turn to take the floor and present their case. Darrow told the judge that it was his intention to show the court that his clients were diseased both mentally and physically and not responsible for their actions. Darrow called his experts to the stand, and one by one, they revealed the findings of their examinations of the clients. Okay. Okay. They presented a catalog of abnormalities. The psychiatrist presented that it was Loeb that was the mastermind behind what they had done, and Leopold was actually his slave. I can see that. Mostly sexually is what I'm thinking. but Yeah, yeah. because you have the dominant and, and submissive. submissive, right? Yeah, that's very common in our pairs. Richard had a fantasy about being a master criminal, and Leopold actually had a fantasy about being a slave. So they were living out their, their fantasies. Okay. The witnesses for the defense testified that both these boys were emotionally stunted. Oh, wow. The psychiatrist even said that Loeb still talked to his teddy bear. He went on to claim that he is very infantile. Uh, and I believe what I'd read that he believed that his emotional maturity was that of a four or five year old. Okay. As the boys grew up, they were neglected by their parents and both of them had gover- governesses who extruded, uh, exuded a lot of control over them in their separate homes. Mm-hmm. It came out that Nathan Leopold was sexually abused by his governess when he was 12 years old. As for Richard Loeb, his governess stepped in as a mother figure and would punish him in his classes or push him in his classes to excel. Okay. Always just always pushing him to, for that next level. Oh yeah. According to Loeb, it got, it got so bad that he began to lie to his governess about everything. Wow. Richard went on to say that he traces his crimes back to when he started lying to his governess. Wow. Darrow offered up that these two very privileged, privileged kids were actually victims of neglect and abuse. And that they and that is why they committed their crime. Okay. They were stuck in these cold, unloving families, and they should be pitied and not hated. So they were basically ignored and neglected. Right. Okay. Correct. I'm dope. Not like physically or anything like that. It was just ignoring. Right. Well, neglected. we have the one that's sexually molested, like uh, yeah. Leopold was molested. Oh, that's true. <clears throat> On the flip side, once again, was Richard Crow. He objected to almost every statement that was made and said that the defense was preposterous in no, their findings. I can see that. That's his job. Let's, yeah. let's, let's get down to the brass taxes. I love doing that to you. <laughs> no, it's funny because my mom will hear this and she will get irritated with you, which pleases me to no end. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Janet, I mean brass tacks, baby. You know I love you. Mm. Yeah, she absolutely hates it when people do shit like that, it's like mispronouncing mama. and shit. Especially but that is, that, that's his job. His job as the prosecutor is to object to everything he can. Now what? I didn't do, what's that? The piggy bank? No, up above it. A fucking fly trap. Okay, gotcha. I just gotta take it out. It's been up there for years. I never noticed because I had little, I had little gnats at one oh, point. Oh yeah, and they irritated We get me. those a lot in moths in our house. Yeah, welcome to the Pacific Northwest. I know, dude. Okay, I'm, so anyway, yeah, I'm done uh, being as I was saying, that's Crow's job. Mm-hmm. He's just doing his job. So I'm not trying to make him out as a monster in any way. No, he's doing, yeah. He's doing what he thinks is right and what he promised to do, which is that these men are going to face the hangman at the gallows. Yeah, he's the defense attorney, whether they did No, he's the prosecution. Oh, Crow. Never mind. I was thinking Darrow. Crow. Crow kept going back to the brutality of the crimes in an effort to convince the judge that the death penalty was the best option. Okay. 
it was a constant battle between these two legal giants to sway the judge in their favor. Okay. While the majority of the public thought that the boys should, in fact, die, Daryl's defense gave the public a different perspective of the mind of a killer. Okay. It brought to light how childhood circumstances can mold and create a negative behavior pattern. Basically, what the Darrow defense team did was to introduce Freudian uh, interpretations into a courtroom setting that, uh, that the public had never heard before or even knew about. So you're taking all this new, at the time, new Freud, because Freud had just come onto right. the scene with, with, with this, a new way of communicating right. with your patients. Right. I you. Keep in mind that Sigmund Freud's methods were still very new at the time. That's this is true. Is this, bef- and this is before he started saying everything was Oedipus complex, right? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. <laughs> if you're not familiar with Freud, I'll try to give you a short outline. Based on the interactions that you have as a child with your family, for the good or the ill, it will affect how you process and deal with issues as you get older. A good example of that is is this. If your parents show you a lot of affection when you're growing up, then you're more likely to show affection as an adult. If you are abused when you're growing up, you're more likely to become become abusive. Now, I'm not... With that... My side note that I haven't even written because I have to do this all the fucking time. <laughs> because you were beaten and abused as a child does not mean that you're going to become a sexual deviant. It doesn't mean that you're going to become abusive. It's just a, it's a contributing factor that has proven right. a valid factor time and time again. It might not happen with you, but it right. happens with the majority of the people who get into these circumstances. True. So don't sit there and send me fucking hate mail. Well, I'm not abusive, and I was beaten as a kid. I'm not talking about you. Yeah, but there are some that do. Most do. Yeah. It's actually most. This is true. You know, it's uh, it's behavioral conditioning. Mm-hmm. On August 18th, the defense rested, and they took a nap and drank <laughs> a little wine, smoked a little weed. <laughs> yeah, because doesn't the defense get to do their closing arguments last? Yes. Yeah, because usually they say, you know, the most convincing argument that the jury hears last is the one that they usually go with. Yep. Yeah. But there's no jury in here. Anyway. Right, but, you know, what remained probably be the same. What remained were the closing arguments. Gotcha. On August 22nd, crowds of people pushed and shoved their way into the courtroom to hear Darrow give what would be his last closing argument before he retired. Okay. Darrow spoke for three days, giving the court reasons why Leopold and Loeb should not face the hangman at the gallows, but should instead be given life in prison. Okay. He was setting a mood is what he was doing. Right. He was touching on everybody's emotions and, and trying to get everybody to really see his clients as neglected victims and not monsters. That was his goal. Okay. The theme was to... Uh, repeatedly, that was repeated often by Darrow, was the term youth, reminding the judge that these boys were only 19 years old and still children. Right. The true saving grace of Leopold and Loeb was the fact that they were only 19 years old. Right. When the judge handed down the verdict, he explained that he wasn't moved by the scientific evidence that they presented. Okay. He went on to say that because these two boys were not of full age, they would get life in prison because prior to 1960, no one under the age of 23 had been executed in the state of Illinois. And he wasn't about to start. So he went, he, he cited he precedence. Gonna, yeah, he wasn't going to, yeah. Yeah, and he wasn't going to change that. Well, and that's how a lot of judges do it because a lot of them do not like to set a precedence themselves. Right, exactly, and you're, you know, and I can, I could understand if he killed them off, and they were 22, because that's right. pretty close. But you're talking, that's a good age gap. It's 19 to 23. Yeah. Leopold and Loeb were sentenced to life in prison for the killing of Bobby Franks, plus 99 years for the kidnapping. Okay. Well, a verdict would cause outrage throughout the country, and claims that, and and 
claims that these two had actually bought their way out of being hanged. Okay. Which we'll get to that too. Yeah. <laughs> we get to everything. Don't worry. Big circles. Kind of like, you know, masturbating. <clears throat> so although everyone was pissed off. Wait a minute. How do you masturbate in complete circles, Scott? Okay. Yeah. You like that visual? Not really, but it or looked like you were just trying it, to turn. When it comes to a certain lady, like that. It's not. A little bit of that. Ah, we're done. <laughs> so, although everyone was pissed off, Darrow did his job. Oh, yeah. He spared his clients from the death penalty. Okay. He went on to tell reporters that gathered around him that he planned to launch a campaign to end the death penalty in the state of Illinois. Now comes the part that I get pissed off about. Okay, I'm ready. Nathan Loeb was actually paroled in 1958. And he, what? Was, he was released from prison. Okay, but he had a life sentence plus 99 years. Yep. Uh, in the interview that he did, I actually saw. And this is Leopold, the submissive. Yeah. Okay. He said that, you know, I begged the parole board for, for mercy, and they saw fit to be merciful upon me, and blah, blah, blah. And the only news is that I'm not news. And it, he, I, Anyway, fuck that guy. Anyway, <laughs> by this time, he had been in prison for more than 33 years. Wow. Well, about 20 years prior to that, Richard Loeb died in a prison after being killed by a fellow inmate who claimed that Loeb made sexual advances towards him. Wow. Yeah. In 1938, Clarence Darrow died at the age of 80. He spent his remaining years outside of the courtroom trying to abolish the death penalty in Illinois, but had very little success in doing so. And I'm paraphrasing all this because there's a lot of information, and I don't like two-parters because I can never get on the same track. I know. I know. And <laughs> I'm I, not like you. You're way more organized and put together. Well, and not just that. Is, I mean, I, if I do a two-parter, I will go over what I did the previous week. Yeah. You know, just kind of skim through it because it's like, oh, okay. So my closing thoughts, and then we're going to talk about this. Dude, I'm kind of scared to talk about it, but go. <laughs> To me, this is another case where money buys you justice, even though it was back in the 1920s. I think about it this way. What if these two boys came from, a, came from poor families? What if, would it have been worldwide news? Would Clarence Darrow come and defend them if they were not wealthy? I feel the answer is no. Yeah. After researching this case, I feel that they should have faced the hangman at the gallows and that their lives should have ended with a rope around their necks. Oh, completely. I don't buy in any way that Nathan Leopold was reformed either. I think that he had just become a better criminal. Me too. That's my final thought on this. Let's yeah. talk about this well, bullshit. Let's talk about the better criminal part is like fucking Homolka. Exactly. I believe, and I don't believe Mary Bell has quit killing either. No, me either. I think that's, that these people are sick. Yeah. Um, you know, well, I'm pretty sure that uh, that Leopold quit killing because he's dead now. Well, now, but... Yeah, <laughs> but I don't think that he was reformed because people tend, especially... You know, I, I, just, I don't think that he ever had the mental fortitude to stop being a criminal. Right, and not just that is... Because I saw on Wikipedia that he died in, in Puerto Rico. Did he? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't. So my whole thing out. is, is who's to say he didn't go over there and start killing? Exactly. You know, yes, we own. I mean, it's a U.S. possession. The territory. Yeah, that's what I meant. But um, it's not like we're deep involved in their law enforcement. Mm -hmm. You know? So I just, yeah, I just, my God. Right. You know, and, and what I said stands true, and I've said this time and time again throughout the time we've been doing this podcast, is that it doesn't matter if we're looking at the 1920s or we're looking at 2021, 2022. Oh, yeah. Money, that the scales of justice are never balanced, and she's not blind. No, because not at all, because that blindfold is, like, slipping down. The second that you've got money, that mm -hmm. blindfold comes up a little bit, and she gives you a little nod in yeah, the wink. Yeah, she goes like this. Uh-huh. <laughs> and those scales t tend to tip in your favor. Right. Depending on how much money you have. Well, look at freaking, I mean, I hate to bring this up because people are going to say it's a racist thing. 
But I, I mean, I'll bring it up on both ends of it. Let's talk about O.J. Simpson. Yep. And how he got all these powerful attorneys and shit. And then on the other end is that uh, Robert, what's his name, who was in Spartacus? Uh, no, he was, uh, uh, no, I, I know who you're talking about. Uh, uh, um, 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 you're thinking of Blake, Richard yeah, Blake. Yeah, Richard, no, Robert Blake. Is was it Robert yeah, Blake? Yeah, it's Robert Blake. Yeah, he, but he was a white guy, and he got away with killing his wife, too. Exactly, and I've said this a million times. I can go out and murder somebody. And Casey Anthony. If I went out right now and I murdered my neighbors, oh, I'm yeah. going to get some time. Oh, yeah, but you'll probably get manslaughter <laughs> or um, something to that effect. As opposed, and probably even second-degree manslaughter, as opposed uh-huh. to felony murder or uh, aggravated murder. Yeah. yeah, but if my neighbors came over here and so much as laid a hand on me, yeah, just even pushed me, they're going to get a felony. Oh, because yeah. They'll get a probably an assault three or two or three. Yeah. Yeah. And they're going to spend some depending serious on, prison time. Yeah, depending on what injuries you have. And the, the difference is she's like a housekeeper at night or cleans offices right. or some shit like that. So a menial job. And, and a I, public defender. And she's going to get a public defender and I have a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and I can afford a decent attorney. Oh, yeah. And, and it's not like you'll be out of work, no. really. Because no, you'll get out on bail. Uh-huh. Because it won't be aggravated murder. It might be, because I believe what will happen is you might spend maybe six months and they will bring it down to charge you with, you know, your charges before you go to trial be manslaughter and then you can get out on bail. Yeah, pretty much. And then you would be able to afford your bail. Yeah. Yeah. With, without a problem. But not, without, no doubt. Yeah, without missing a beat, uh-uh. you know. And while I say that and it sounds like, well, Scott just thinks he can get away. Dude, I don't think that that justice should be that way. I think it should be fair across the board. Oh, yeah. If I go over there and I lay a hand on my neighbor or their bratty kids, (laughs) I should face... Heathens. I should face the same charges. Oh, yeah, totally. And same punishment Mm -hmm. as they would to me. Totally. It's because I believe that fair should be fair. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, it isn't. It's not at all. And it fucking sucks. Mm Mm-hmm. I actually feel sorry for those who are indigent who have to get a public defender. Uh, yeah. It's... I mean, mine was a very high-profile case back in 1990. Well, I got arrested in 93, went to trial in 94. Well, went to court in 94. But it was a very high, highly-profile case in this area. So we, thankfully, even though we had public defenders, we had the well-known... You know, gotcha. You know what I mean? Like the ones that do pro bono cases for high profile cases. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, you know, thank goodness we had that. But at the same time, an attorney, no matter how good they are on a pro bono case, (laughs) they do not put as much effort into it. And I'll tell you why. Because, and I know this happened in California back in the 90s, I don't know if Oregon does it too. But at the time, for high-profile cases like that, attorneys had to apply to be on the board to represent... Oh, sorry. Better? Yeah, because you leaned back I and know. lost your signal. To represent you know, the, cli- the high-profile clients. They had to apply right. for that. And at the time, if they're... You know, if it was their turn in the rotation, once they got approved, they'd be in a rotation. If it was their turn for the rotation, no matter what that case was... They got a flat fee in the beginning of $80,000 to use on the defense. So whatever they didn't use, they got to pocket. Yeah, that works. So, no, I mean, so you can have the shady lawyers are the ones that aren't going to put as much effort because they want more money in their pockets. Exactly. So, and unfortunately, that's really sad. It is. Mm-hmm. It, it, it truly is. I just. <laughs> yeah, because there's a case in California that I want to feature where this guy got a, a kind of hope high profile attorney is that is that better up like that or? as long as you're speaking into it because you keep why well, I, I will you, yeah. you fade but so he had a I mean he had a high profile case and there was a lot of evidence pointing to his innocence his attorney didn't hire a private investigator there was a private investigator on the case before but the his first attorney had to uh 
excuse themselves because they were already in the process of representing one of his witnesses. His, oh, gotcha. Know, and be conflict victims of interest. Or yeah. Conflict of interest. So, therefore, um, so that was it. So he got assigned another attorney. And this Let's attorney. down a little bit. No. God I wasn't damn. even moving that time. You did. You moved your head way oh, down. I saw sorry. You Whatever. I saw it with my own two so, eyeballs. Yeah. Good, good eye. No. <laughs> good eye. <laughs> You're not. Not your Henry Lee Lucas eye. <laughs> Sorry. That, that wandering fucking yeah, eye that, that you can like see the back of his brain. Yeah, that droopy, like, draining eye. <laughs> but anyways, no. So, you know, so he got assigned this other attorney, and the other attorney didn't hire uh, experts, <laughs> didn't go over, you know, didn't hire forensic techs, didn't freaking... Um, there was an investigator assigned to the case in the beginning when he had the first attorney, and so when he got the new attorney, the investigator gave him all the information, and there was some evidence to show. Jeez. I mean, some things to show, because it's not up to the defense to prove you're innocent. It's up to the prosecution to prove you're guilty. Correct. But the defense is there to poke holes. Right. You know? So, you know, like I said, there was... Um, so, but the stuff that he handed the attorney, the attorney says, oh, I don't think this is of any consequence. <laughs> and so it was like, you know, all this other shit. And so, I mean, literally, I am dead serious. They went in for the preliminary hearing, which is where the prosecution displays the evidence to the court, and the court decides if they need to proceed with a trial. Right, but it's going to go to a grand jury or not. Yeah, in well, no, case. it's already been to the grand jury. Oh, okay, to, I'm backwards. Yeah, in grand That's jury, right, they, 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 they decide if they're going to yeah. prosecute. No, the grand jury brings up the charges. Then uh-huh. the prosecution displays the evidence to the judge that he has. Oh, okay. And the judge decides if it's sufficient enough to even go through with the trial. Because if he doesn't think that it's, you know, like strong right. enough evidence, then he's like, why waste our time? Yeah, no, it makes sense. So during the preliminary trial, the prosecution presented all this evidence that they had. The fucking defense didn't have shit, you know, because he had only been... He had only been on the case for like two weeks, and he said he was ready for the preliminary hearing. Yeah, so he didn't have shit. Well, after the preliminary hearing, the judge says, okay, we can proceed with a trial, a jury trial. And the defense attorney says, okay, we're ready. That man got brought up on multiple uh, capital murder charges, and he was in trial within six months. Jesus Christ. Yeah. My attorney, seriously? Now that you mentioned that, they would have a team of investigators. Oh, yeah. There would be... I had three on my case. There'd be shit going on. Mm-hmm. My attorneys would come in like Johnny Cocker and go, the glove yeah. don't fit, motherfuckers. <laughs> yeah, no, on my case, my attorney was amazing. Um, and the only reason why I ended up taking the plea bargain is because I was 18, just turned 19. And they said, well, if you we're going to offer you this, which was, you know plead guilty there's one charge you know you can get this much time whatever or it could be less they said but i didn't get my hopes up and thank goodness i didn't but um so i was like you know or you can go to trial and you'll be charged with this and you can spend up to 25 years yeah it makes sense yeah. so it's like i i mean i sat with my attorney for six hours going back and forth <laughs> and he was Shit. like you know what tammy he goes you have a good case you know where I probably would have got off with just a misdemeanor. He said, however, you never know what a jury's going to do. Exactly. That's, so that's a wild he goes, card. So he goes, so it's really up to you. He says, it's a good deal. You'll still be young when you get out. You know, five years. Oh, I only ended up doing four, so I got up by the time I was 23. And so, you know, there's all that. And I was just like, okay, let's let's do it. You know, and I actually talked to my co-defendant because I wasn't going to test because part of my plea bar is to testify against my co-defendant. I was like, no, I won't do that. And then my co-defendant says, take the deal, which told me he was going to take his deal. Okay. You know, so I was like, okay, so I wouldn't have to testify. I'm like, okay, cool. So I took the deal and then come to find out later that I was talking to one of the prosecutors way later. And he said, you know, I was kind of scared you wouldn't take that deal because I didn't think I could convict you. I'm like, Holy you shit. stupid motherfucker. It's, it's a gamble. Yeah. It's always a gamble. So, you know, and when you're looking, when you're young 
and like when you're 18, 19 years old, five years is nothing compared to 25. Oh, totally. You know, because if I'm 18 years old, if I get out in five, I'm still in my 20s. If I get out in 25, I'm like too old to even do anything, have a family or anything. You're too old now. Motherfucker, I have a family, <laughs> so fuck off. Luckily. Yeah. Shouldn't be allowed. Shut the fuck up. All right, let's wrap this one here up because it's getting late in the day. I know, dude. Tired. We'll probably have to come back and do one from a couple tomorrow. Do one more and then do a couple tomorrow. Probably. Probably. Yeah. Yeah, because it sucks when you have to do one episode three fucking times when you're almost done with them. Uh, fucking software, <laughs> man. It's the first time it's ever. I've, done, I've used the same software manufacturer for years. Do you need to update it? No. It shouldn't be updated. It's fucking fine. Oh. Weird as shit. Anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send it over to our tech and. Okay. Tear it apart. See what the fuck went on. Why that anomaly happened. Yeah. So, let's see. You can send us an email at hurdlenation <laughs> at twistedbluellc.com. Mm-hmm. Check out the website at www.brutalnationllc.com. Click on that uh, Amazon link. It helps out the show. Doesn't cost you a penny extra. Isn't that fucking amazing? That is fucking awesome. Check out our Patreon. We got some great deals going on for those who Yeah, great levels. And I want to give it up to Tammy here because she's the one who actually uh, spearheaded all that shit and put it all together and did all the work on it. Um, Let's see. What else? Check us out on Medium. Uh, and Crime Beat that's on Medium and wherever mm-hmm. you get your blogs and gives you all the information on most things and you know, put up with my bullshit. You know, that always helps. No jokes about Tammy's mom, though. And uh, I know that breaks a lot of your hearts. I love that look. I can eat you. Like, you know, they're going to be like, they're going to be watching the news because someday there's going to be a <laughs> national report saying, um, two podcasters, one killed the other one, and blah, blah, blah. And the irony is, is it's a true crime podcast. <laughs> yeah. Your mom reminds me kind of uh, like Michelob Light. She tastes great. And she's less filling, baby. <laughs> mm, yummy. I didn't think about that for a second. <laughs> You're such a dick. <laughs> All right, this show's copyrighted 2021 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved, and we will talk to you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.